0 for 11. No, I, like 0 for 11, and that's not the Bears on third down. That was my gambling on Sunday. Yeah, that was. Uh, I I saw the tweet storm. That was a really rough outing. I sure. was. <laughs> I, listen, I don't know. I got out of hand. I only had seven bets on Saturday, and I was four of three, and I felt really good about it. I was in the. I was in the positive. Had some good good ones hit, and I lost on some like this little teaser stuff. You know, like oh two, you know, score two touchdowns, things like that, and then literally off the rails on Sunday. I was scared to pick a winner and actually bet a winner on Ravens Titans. So then I just did some really weird, stupid. If Derrick Henry scores, that would have nailed two bets for me in that game. But, uh, and then the Bears, I lost every one of my five bets on the Bears. Money line, multiple touchdowns. So that was a crushing blow on multiple fronts. I decided if I, if I, my heart's going to get ripped out of my chest, I might as well just throw my wallet down the drain too. Yeah, that was the worst day of gambling I'd had in my in my short career of gambling. Uh, but you know what? You bounced back. We got the national championship game tonight. I got four bets on the line, so I'm ready to <laughs> I'm ready to lose some more money. It was brutal, man. It was just there. Brutal. You go. My bet is that uh, you know Devonte Smith scores a touchdown. That's that's my uh, my bold bet right there. Oh, okay. I like that. Actually, yeah, I might yeah. try to find that somewhere. Well, Devontae Smith is going to score nine touchdowns. The guy so. is a freak. <laughs> the I like that absolute. he's taken the Slim Reaper uh, uh, nickname. And the fact that Kevin Durant did not yeah, want that yeah. nickname is insane because it's an amazing nickname. And it Devontae is an amazing Smith, nickname. Devontae Smith like certainly inherits it well. Yeah, yeah, no question about that. But, uh, hey. You know that's that is betting in the playoffs, though. To to, to circle back uh, to your night, you know, we we talk about it any given Sunday that is magnified in come postseason. So it's it's difficult. It's difficult to find those winners. And I even saw you you just did money line on a lot of guys, not even betting a lot of spreads. So you know, double the issue there. But hey, it is Dude, what it is. Absolutely brutal. Anyone that wants to, to see it in person, you can just go to Twitter and uh, and watch it unfold in real time. My life it once falling again. down around me. Yeah, <laughs> no question. Um, but all right, well, that is a wild card weekend in the books. Obviously, uh, as a Bears and, and Steelers fan here, representatives on the show, it was not a good evening for either of us. So um, why did know, they I have my to dentist, do it to me? If I it had, was, added <laughs> they added, they made it super wild card weekend to let my team in. Just, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I'll say this: I'll never complain about the Bears making the playoffs. And I, and as horrible as it was to watch, I still had so much fun that I got to watch my team last night. And yeah, I, think, you know, you'd rather them make the playoffs. I never course, understood the, the people that are like, um, you know, I, we might as well just not have won the play, gone to the playoffs. Then, you know, if we were going to lose, it's like, all right, well, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you always want to go to the playoffs because anything can happen in the playoffs. You exactly, know? we saw it in Cleveland last night. I we mean, literally it. anything <laughs> can happen. Uh, I mean, in in, uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, in Pittsburgh, right? Uh, yeah, Dan, uh, it, we'll, we'll get into all of it. Uh, but uh, we just know all our listeners. I think there's some excited listeners today just to see uh, how depressed we are. I will say this: I'm not depressed. I am in the stage of grief where it's like um, 
bargaining. I'm just bargaining with myself that it's like, hey, no, everything is great. And the Bears, are gonna, go. they're going to fire everyone. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to be so amazing. I uh, wish I could share that optimism. <laughs> uh, but I, I am on. I am in the full-on uh, depressed mode right now. Grief, so grief mode. All right. All right this, yeah, this is this will be great. But uh, before we get into our, our recap of this past week, uh, let's venture towards uh, the On This Day in football history. And uh, we're going to continue our legacy that we have created on this show by just giving you some some chef's kiss, phenomenal uh, lookbacks. Here we're going to go back to 1987, January 11th of 1987. Mr. John Elway, you may have heard of him, decent quarterback. He now uh, has a new position with the Broncos. That's not GM, so probably good for Denver there. But nonetheless, John Elway led his Broncos on the drive. Marching 98 yards for a touchdown, ultimately beating the Cleveland Browns in the AFC Championship game. Uh, that only tied the game, though. A lot of people, you know, forget about that because they think it, it secured the game. But uh, Denver needed an overtime field goal to actually win it, 23-20. to Nonetheless, the drive, 98 yards in a gotta-have-it moment when it was supposed to be Cleveland's year. Uh, John Elway cemented himself in history, if he hadn't already, uh, as as one of the greatest comeback artists of all time, fourth quarter comebacks leading the drive. If you've got something called the drive, it's probably pretty good. Well, yeah. It, when anytime <laughs> things get a nickname, that that always uh, yeah, that exactly. always uh, that always adds to the legacy of it. John Elway, it's funny. I, it was our our, uh, our high school uh, friend Blake Smith. He's a, a fun follow on Twitter. Him and he actually brought up something. It was just the other day. I think it was when Elway like fired himself, but promoted himself at the same time. Uh, was in the news for that. Um, yeah, it brought up the fact that like he didn't think Elway was a top ten quarterback of all time. And I would have to spend a little bit more time really looking at it. But I definitely agree that in my list now, especially where Elway falls, I do think Elway his legacy is built up and propped up a lot by early in his career like that and then the helicopter spinning end of his career with the Super Bowls where there were years in the middle where Elway was, I mean, he was magnificent, but was he that much more special than a Steve Young? And yet we do prop him up in this weird way. But because of the drive as a young player, he got this, you know, um, uh, you know, monumental mystique, about mystique yeah. very much a mystique yeah. and i mean him and marino at the same era they were just two the two guys going back and forth so you know the nfl also was different than you have to remember when now we look at so many great quarterbacks and so many great young quarterbacks back in their day those two like elwin marino were just so far and above talent wise with then montana like as you know winning super bowls but then those two guys is just these young phenoms and talents. Um, you didn't see them a lot. It's just interesting to look back on yeah. uh, where where Elway falls. I do think the drive is such a crucial part of Elway's legacy. It really is. It really is. And honestly, I mean, I would agree that he's pro- – I probably wouldn't put him in my top ten. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll be doing some of that this offseason. Oh, yeah. kind of give some of our rankings and stuff. So that'll be fun to kind of pour through that. I, I honestly, 
I I kind of liken him to Big Ben in a lot of ways. Now their careers were kind of like opposite, where Big Ben got his titles early on, and um, you know the latter parts not necessarily um, able to pull through. Whereas Elway got his titles, you know, late. Um, they're both you know really good in fourth quarter comeback situations. Both kind of gunslinger, throw a lot of picks, but also made big plays type of deal. Um, and Big Ben, that's the reason he wears number seven. Uh, he wore number seven because he grew up uh, idolizing John Elway. So I, he plays a lot like him, and I do think that they're similar, and both of them I would have outside my top ten. So um, once again, like I'll have to revisit it. You know, it's perhaps perhaps maybe Elway does slide in there at number ten or something like that. I'll have to think about it. But, yeah, uh, the drive pivotal moment, something that uh, will never be forgotten in sports history is an, an incredible uh, moment in the playoffs, obviously just with the storyline and everything surrounding it as well with the Browns. Um, so just a, a huge moment in his career and really a huge moment in postseason football. Uh, so with that, uh, Mark, we had some uh, incredible playoff games this past weekend six games in two days we were talking about how exciting it was to just get to focus on one game at a time for two straight days and um you know obviously we, we were kind of able to you know get a deeper look at a, at a lot of these games getting to experience them in real time versus going back and, and watching or going back and pouring through some of the highlights things like that so different feel to it ramped up situation with you know your season on the line and a lot of expected outcomes and then a couple really unexpected ones which I'm sure we'll kind of go through so we're going to start this off kind of just recapping our thoughts on the games as we go around so Mark if we I guess we we can kind of just start with Saturday and go from there Bills beating the Colts at home not an unexpected outcome but perhaps an unexpected uh, gameplay, the, the kind of way that this thing developed. Uh, Bills edged them 27-24 to 24 in a game that Indy looked like it may steal uh, early on and, and even, you know, towards that second half. I'll say this. Every single team that was considered the traditional underdog for the most part, they did exactly what we expect them to do. Every single one, Bears included, came out early, firing, seemed more aggressive, seemed to be the teams that – were hungrier, were every one of the favorites, the quote-unquote favorites, um, besides the Steelers who, you know, in a weird way, just it was, again, we'll get to that, was just so weird the way that game started. But they all, like, let the game come to them. And I thought the Bills were the epitome of that, the way that started. It seemed very early on they said, you know what? Let's take their punches. Let's let them hit us, see what they got, and then how to, you know, and absorb and, and feel things out. It felt uh, very much so um, like a, you know a team that felt very confident in their stance, and I never felt like the Bills were out of that game, especially pretty early on, where where um, uh, Josh Allen just was making throws and and doing things with his legs, uh, taking some uh, I think a little bit unnecessary hits. He's got to be a little more careful, especially as now we've seen where. Big Ben's career is winding down. Uh, Cam Newton's career is winding down. These physically big running quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks. But I thought, you know, to me, the, this game came down to the fact that the refs got the call uh, right when they needed to. 
And if that would have been ruled, uh, you know, you know, a a down by contact or whatever, and the Bills go on to lose that game, that is all time. That would have been, I mean, absolute all time screw job. Like the Saints and Rams from a couple of years ago. Hundred percent. That it's it's crazy to think this weekend. Now, when we look back on it, all the storylines we have, the biggest storyline still was literally moments away from the Bills being absolutely screwed Hosed. by the refs, <laughs> and and the fact that they did get that right, twenty seven twenty four. It was closer than I thought. It was a more competitive than I thought, but I think that said a lot more about Philip Rivers and the moxie and the guts that he played with in that game, and and Frank Reich being an, uh, a really special coach in this league, uh, getting the most out of out of his talent um, against a Bills team that, by all accounts, um, uh, is a better team with a better quarterback right now. Uh, but I, I, you know, kudos to the Bills. You know, a lot of people are giving the Browns a lot of love. Obviously, it was a Sunday night game. Here we are on a Monday morning overreaction. But remember, the Bills hadn't won a game, in, a playoff game in 25 years. So congrats to them. That was huge. Uh, and to beat a team like Indy that came out swinging, a very good team like Indy, uh, uh, a big, big win for Buffalo. And uh, sucks that the Browns won, and they, they got to now wait for the Ravens to come to town. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's going to be a, a matchup to keep an eye on, no question. It might be the the matchup of this upcoming weekend. But, yeah, to your point, look, I mean, the it, it, they didn't pull away the way you wanted them to, but you also still kind of always felt that the Bills were in control. And that was the, the biggest factor, really, until the end in, in that drive. You know, if, if Pascal doesn't fumble that, then then you're talking about, you know, the Colts making this, you know, heroic comeback, um, you know, underdog uh, victory in the wild card round at Buffalo with with all of that pressure of like never had not having win it for over two decades. So there was a lot riding on it. Uh, but that being said, they were the better team. They did win. You, you always felt like they had a grasp on it. The offense uh, was able to score when they needed to. Now, the biggest problem for Buffalo was really like, you know, in the second half, they, they weren't putting together touchdown drives uh, outside of that, you know, one first one, in the fourth quarter to digs. But look, I mean, I think the biggest takeaways are that obviously Allen is a, is a quarterback that is very capable of bringing this team to a Super Bowl, and they've got the right guy and they've got the guy for the next 10 years easily. The, the trade for digs was incredible. That's coming to fruition in the perfect time. And, you know, these are things we knew at the end of the regular season, but once you see it get done in the playoffs, you know for sure. You know, there's always that going to be that cloud until you win the games. Um, so uh, that being said, yeah, it, it did kind of just boil down to, to two quarterbacks duking it out, and Josh Allen prevailed in this one. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Philip Rivers does come back next year, but regardless, Frank Reich, uh, has that program in good hands. Jonathan Taylor is a stud. He's going to be a great running back for quite some time. They got a great O-line, young defense, really good. So, you know, they're they're buttoned up, and, and they're going to be just fine. Uh, I think that was, you know, uh, albeit getting a victory, that was the best outcome the Colts could have hoped for, uh, making it close, showing that they did belong in the playoffs because they were they were almost not in this postseason. 
So uh, they definitely made a statement uh, in regards to kind of where they're at as a franchise. And Buffalo moves on and gets to, to host it once again. You know, hopefully Bills Mafia doesn't set itself on fire again because I don't know if you saw that, <laughs> Dude, that, was, that video. That's exactly what Bills Mafia needs to do. Well, they just yeah, I, enjoy I suppose it. you could say. They, they are allowed <laughs> to enjoy that to its fullest. I mean, literally, oh, playoff, sure. win, uh, playoff wins in Buffalo and, and Cleveland all in the same weekend. That is just it's – something, it's something special. I mean, it really it's is. Wild. And, uh, it's very 2020. This is yes. on brand. And, and, I'm, right. and I'm happy for both fan bases a million percent. And I'll just say, final note in that game, that was a fun game. That was a great start to the weekend. It was a, it was a great start to the weekend, for sure. No question. And in the second game, as we move forward, the Seahawks hosting the Rams. And look, I, I knew that we both said this was going to be probably the game we were most looking forward to in terms of, you know, the close matchup. Obviously, it's division rivals going at it as well. You know, John Wolfer gets the start. And so you're thinking, well, all right, the, the, this is probably going to go in the Seahawks' favor. Uh, a scary kind of hit to his neck. He ends up uh, getting taken away in an ambulance, and Jared Goff comes in for relief. Wolfer was fine. He was actually back to celebrate with them after the game. But Goff goes back in, and I he didn't play particularly well in this game. But, you know, despite Wilson not being on the turnover stat sheet at all, he had two touchdowns. This was not a good game for Russ. And we've been talking about how this team was towards the end of it, uh, of the regular season, how the offense was not clicking at all. And the defense had come forward and actually made some decent stops and key moments, but the offense couldn't get it done. 11 to 27 for Russell Wilson. And the Rams get a 10 point win on the road, 30 to 20. That um, it, it was certainly shocking in terms of just how this whole thing played out with Cam Akers just dominating. I mean, the Seahawks could not stop the run. I think that was the storyline of this game. And then, you know, pair that with Seattle's lack of explosion on offense and inability to, you know, there were some drops in this game. You know, DK, you know, had some inopportune moments. Um, I just all around tough one for Seattle there when it seemed like, this team had a great opportunity with a banged up Jared Goff to really come out here guns a blazing, and, and that was not how things transpired. I will start this. My, first off and foremost, Jared Goff deserves a ton of credit. I mean, you saw the thumb on the sideline. That was Dude, gutsy. Yeah. If I was that, and it's on my throwing hand, like it's his throwing hand. It's and I would yeah. literally. If you broke, if I broke my thumb like that and had surgery, I would be like, Coach, I, I'm not even suiting up. I mean, that, again, it's like the difference of like NFL player tough uh, and a guy that I think that was a locker room win for Jared Goff or a guy, even though he didn't play particularly well, he'd been struggling down the stretch. There's everyone in that locker room could see that thumb, knows the pain he's in, knows what he's went through, and I think that was one of those like, oh, he re-earned the trust of the locker room. In that now, Jared has to be better when healthy going forward, like next year and stuff like that, because of his contract and if he wants to really be the Rams quarterback for the next five, the next five years, like the next contract beyond the one he's currently on, uh, that's a whole nother story. But I think in the moment, what a gutsy performance by him, and uh, my hats off to him a million percent. I'd say the other storyline for me is this Aaron Donald's health. What's his health like after this win? Obviously, I predicted Seattle win because 
We didn't know what the quarterback situation would be like going in. And I honestly thought Russell Wilson, um, since week seven, my opinion of him has shifted so much. I mean, I, we started this podcast with me driving the Russell Wilson MVP train. I, I think our first episode, and, and back in August, I felt this way. Russell Wilson was the second best quarterback in the league. I no longer feel that way. I mean, you have to adjust to what you're seeing. Russell Wilson, I still believe, is a top five quarterback in this league and a guy I would love to have in my franchise and build around. But he was not himself going down the stretch, and this offense was completely out of line. I know we'll talk about when we get to the Steelers. Uh, I will say this. To me, the biggest storyline for this game, besides the gutsiness of Jared Goff, the health of Aaron Donald going forward for them, uh, is I think Seattle needs to do a massive overhaul on the offensive coordinator that has to be fired. You cannot be that bad with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Russell Wilson. I get it. The offensive line is bad, but they have decent backs. Uh, you cannot be that bad at home. That's the first home playoff for us, loss of Russell's career. And this is a guy who's made the playoffs uh, eight straight years. I mean, he is a machine at getting to the playoffs. He's never missed it in his career. Um, I'll say this, uh, the other thing, so that's huge to me. They have got to revamp the offensive coordinator and get fresh blood in there and just a whole new perspective offensively, um, that they need, they need someone to come in there and be like, Hey, I'm going to take control. This is what we're doing. And we're going to revamp, uh, this, whatever that may be. I would say the other thing is they have got to spend money on the offensive line and the defense. I mean, they cannot be uh, th- because this division is tough as it is. It's going to be tough, and but it's still wide open. All these teams beat each other. All these teams play each other really tough. So you cannot rest on your laurels if you're the Seahawks going the offseason. They're a team that needs to revamp the offensive coordinator, needs to spend money on the defense, the offensive line, draft picks on those pos- uh, those areas as well. And for the Rams... All I got to say is great win. That win makes this season a success for you, even though you didn't win your division. Uh, can you put up a good fight in Green Bay? We'll talk about that uh, coming on up. What's the And Jared Goff, I mean, that's a, that's a re-win the locker room type of win for Jared Goff. Yeah, it was, it was really big, especially, as you mentioned, for a team that had uh, received its doubts throughout the season. I was certainly one of them that uh, didn't think that they were playing balanced enough. But look, I mean, they can't come in here in the playoffs. Akers puts up 130 on the ground. They get just enough production out of Jared Goff, and that amounts to 30 points. I mean, that, that can win you a lot of games if you're able to to manage it with your quarterback and run all over the opposing defense. We'll see if they can have that success on the road coming up. But uh, the point is they have a good enough defense to where it'll give this offense enough opportunities. And and a lot can happen in the playoffs uh, when you have that working for you. So I totally agree with you there. Big win for the Rams. And, um, yeah, we'll see if the Seahawks can actually address some of these problems. I like obviously offensive line is a huge need. Corner is another really big lead need. If they can, if they can address both of those in the draft and free agency, then maybe we're talking about a totally different type of team next year uh, that that perhaps stays dominant instead of just being dominant for four or five games. Yeah, no, I, I will end it by just saying I just want to put it out there. I personally think DK Metcalf is doing himself a massive disservice by turning into that guy. I yeah, think DK Metcalf's a very no. likable guy. I think he's marketable. 
I think he could, you know, huge endorsements. I think he's extraordinarily talented and could end up being a, a, a Calvin Johnson type guy, like Hall of Fame guy. But he's got like the the sideline explosions. It's now multiple times in a row, and and so to me that also means I don't think he's mad at Russ. I I I that to me again is like why you need to address your offensive coordinator. You have got to get this offense to gel because he's too good. Russ is too good. They're your foundations. With especially with Lockett as the number two going forward, you have all that figured out. They're locked up. They're paid. They got to be better. And I and I don't blame the talents in that regard. I think there's something weird and wrong offensively. And look, this may just be a coincidence, but it was curious timing that they went to force the ball to DK. Oh, it was not coincidence, right? Coincidence at all? Absolutely, it was like they're forcing the ball to him there. And look, I think DK should have come back inside to that ball. But I mean, Swain missed a block, so that's on him. There are a lot of things, but that that was the turning point of the game—a pick six in that moment. Brilliant play by the defense there. Drive. It really was was individual brilliant play. It was a great read, for sure. All right, let's go to the final game of Saturday, uh, the Saturday evening contest between the Buccaneers uh, and the Washington football team, Tampa Bay, on the road in this one. And what a performance by Washington filling quarterback Taylor Heineke. I mean, an, an incredible out-of-nowhere performance for the ages, one we probably haven't seen, not not one I can compare to it, really, in, in recent memory, that's for sure, uh, against... Tom Brady against the Buccaneers defense who, look, they're a lot worse than maybe they've been given credit for. But still, they have a lot of playmakers on that defense that can, you know, make certainly make a third string practice squad type of uh, quarterback look bad. And Heideke running all over the field, gutsy performance, diving over the pylon there, keeping this one close to the end. Buccaneers pull out a 31-23 win, but it looked Pretty close, even in the fourth quarter there, like Washington may be able to get a victory in this one. If so, Taylor Heineke kudos did, to them. Yeah, if Taylor Heineke did not have a girlfriend before that game, his he's definitely he's, got one now. He's got one now. His DMs, I'm sure, were very slid into. Handsome young man, uh, and put up a great performance. And he's gotta have a Heineken sweet sleeve sweet too. like half sleeve tattoo as well. Uh, they got a lot of love on the broadcast yeah. after he hurt that shoulder, and they showing the kinesiology tape there or whatever. So kudos to him. Uh, he had a great Saturday night, I'm sure. Uh, just shoot me up, Doc. I got a, I got DMs to respond to. Um, but I also say this, and I tweeted it out. Taylor Heineke, he just made himself probably $20 million and having a job for the next 10 years. I mean, he's now a guy that will probably play for two or three more teams and and be a guy that like you you bring in as a spot starter or as an elite backup or if you're smart like a Washington you lock him up right now you say hey do you like it here in Washington I'll sign you to a 5 year 20 million dollar backup deal and spread that 5 year you know 4 million dollars a year I'm sure he'd sign it and take it because if Heineke's smart that you're not a starter in the league long term you're a great filling guy I'm sure if you like it in Washington, Ron Rivera, I'm sure, likes having him around. The the offensive coordinator, I, I couldn't remember, but they said he got ties to, uh, you know, like he was the XFL coach or whatever he was in. Uh, he has some – sometimes there was a, his, one of his college – like he knew known him from a, a, pre, a previous place. Maybe it was his quick stint in uh, Carolina when he was with Ron Rivera. Either way, kudos to him. That was a great story. That's always fun to watch as you're on, collectively on Twitter – 
all collectively kind of losing your minds. Like, who the hell is this kid? This is awesome. Um, I will say this, though. Um, to me, the bigger story from this game, though, is I think the Bucs have a real chance against New Orleans. I think overall, offensively, the Bucs, to me, they're so predictable. They cannot run the ball. I think Leonard Fournette is a guy you cut immediately after the season. Ronald Jones is great, but I think I think Tom Brady, they need to address it either in the draft or find a guy in free agency. He needs his white. He needs his, you know, uh, I can't think of the, his first name. Um, uh, he needs his James White. James yeah, White. That, that, he that need, like, James White. Like, yeah. he needs that guy, and they don't have that right now. Um, uh, or at least consistently, but Fournette's he's no good right now. Ronald Jones is, but he can't stay healthy. But honestly, the offense just runs better when he's got his James White, and I think they need to find that. But overall, I think Tampa Bay played very good overall. I mean, they had no idea what to expect from this yeah. Heineke kid. And anytime you're dealing with a scrappy mobile quarterback who you can just tell there's a flood of emotions, flood of momentum. That kid couldn't miss if he really wanted to at times. Um, playing totally free, totally loose. I don't. I think their defense will play better against uh, New Orleans. Uh, Drew Brees, as we saw it, struggled against Chicago. As soon as you get pressure up the middle on Drew, the Saints' offense to me was, and we'll get to it. One of the bigger storylines of the of the of the weekend, just not looking great, not uh, uh, cohesive, and not being as explosive. So I thought the Bucs looked good. I thought they overall, I never worried about the Bucs in this game. They always had a, a lead. They always kind of kept the lead, kept Washington at bay, and just kept that emotion down. And for a, a Bucs team that themselves were a roller coaster this year, I thought that was really sound, really solid. And Tom Brady threw for 380-something yards. I mean, the guy still yep. got it. Yep. 31 wins as a start as a, in the in the playoffs. That's almost double the next closest Montana 16. He's now beaten. 17 different teams in the playoffs. That's more wins than Montana, uh, you know, Manning, anyone else. It's insane what yeah. he's doing. Uh, the GOAT showed up, and I can't. I think that game, Saints-Bucks, is already, I'm circling as the game of the week. 1A, 1B being Buffalo-Ravens uh, for next week. Yeah, they put up 31 points where where they were seemingly out of sync for much of the game. Yeah, and they and, shut and down Chase Young. You know, no they, sacks. They, sh they, they shut down Chase Young, and they um, uh, Tristan Wirfs had an incredible game he on did. Montez Sweat. I mean, they've got themselves a dog at right tackle. I was fortunate uh, enough to cover him some when he was with the Hawkeyes. He was an absolute stud, and uh, and he's showing it here at the NFL level too. So, look, they, they've got the pieces, certainly – um, it, at times, obviously, you saw Tom Brady kind of blow up on Cameron Brait there because he wasn't continuing his route. And it's, you know, it's it's little nitpicky things like that that are the difference between a playoff winner and a playoff loss, you know. It's, and Tom knows that, so you got to take every moment that you possibly can. So there were moments uh, that they looked out of sync. But nonetheless, against a really solid defense, they put up 31 points, got a victory, uh, and, and now they get to, to match up with New Orleans, a division opponent that they know well. I agree with you. I think it's a good, great matchup here. Uh, I'd re be really excited to kind of see how Tampa Bay attacks it. They're going to have to find a semblance of a run game, though. They're going to have to eventually. Because I just, as great as Tom Brady has been, I'm not sure that you could just put this all on his shoulders 
for the remainder of this postseason run if you want to win three more games. That's going to be very difficult to do. And, yeah, the defense is going to have to play a lot better as well because uh, Drew Brees and Taysom Hill even are uh, are not Taylor Heineke. So, you know, for take that for what it's worth. All right, we'll move to Sunday's game here, Mark, and um, we'll start with the heartbreaker. Uh, the Well, actually, no, no, no. The first game was Ravens at Titans. So, so we'll start with Ravens at the Titans there. And, look, I predicted this to be an absolute blowout from Baltimore, and uh, and it was not. I mean, 20-13, to 13, Baltimore gets the win, and towards the end, it, it certainly felt like Baltimore was dominating, but it certainly wasn't that type of performance for 60 minutes. And Tennessee coming up, firing, jumping up 10 to nothing. I think, uh, you know, they silenced some critics, Baltimore did, with saying that they can't come back from a lead because uh, they're, you know, down 10 nothing and um, able to rally pretty quickly, might I add. Lamar Jackson would just uh, a touchdown run for the ages in terms of a playoff touchdown run from a quarterback. I mean, we haven't seen many of those, that's for sure. And, um, you know, he's electric. They continue uh, to, to dominate on the ground. I mean, it, Lamar alone went for 136 on the ground in this one. They have the formula to win, man. And uh, while it wasn't, uh, you know, an explosive display of offense, uh, only 20 points, it, it was a, to be expected, I guess, somewhat that a matchup with the Titans was going to kind of limit uh, some of that scoring. I did expect another touchdown on the board. Nonetheless, they they look pretty good. And, and for the most part, uh, really shut down Derrick Henry, which was the, the number one, number two, number three priority going into this one. I think every single person I know was like, hammer the over in this game. Points, 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 points. I thought there'd be points. I had a 33-30. That was what I predicted. I I was shocked, especially after the 10 nothing early lead, that you end you know, Tennessee, the explosives have they been all year, 13-10. Now, maybe shame on me for not really realizing Calais Campbell back in this game. Baltimore also got back their nose tackle. His name is escaping me right now. Um, the, was it uh, Brandon Williams? Is that Williams, yes. They were able to get pieces back they didn't have in the previous game against the Titans. I'll also say this team, I, I think we should have realized, too, this would have felt more like a divisional game. These two teams had seen each other now three times in the calendar year. They really have grown this really great rivalry. Uh, you know, bummer for Tennessee. They are the best team that's not in the playoffs right now. If you had to take every team that's not in the playoffs, from you know, from the Jacksonville Jaguars all the way up, I think the Tennessee Titans are the best team that's not in the playoffs right now. Colts maybe you could argue is a close second. I, I, I think that, you know, tough draw for them being the home team, getting the hottest team going into the playoffs with the Ravens. And for Lamar... I thought he played great. I thought, you know, this is a Tennessee team that they know how to contain him. They did a good job. I thought they got a lot of sacks. I was not expecting them to get that much pressure. I like Baltimore's O-line, and I was I really thought, I said on my Saturday show, I thought, Baltimore, I thought Lamar Jackson had a chance to pass their way to a victory, really to sit in the pocket because how bad Tennessee was at getting at the quarterback. Kudos to Tennessee. I think they shocked a lot of people. They fixed something going into that week of, like, we know how to get to the quarterback here, and they did a great job of that. Problem is, then Lamar gets out of the pocket, and he's able to beat you, and he's able to kill you. Really, really, I think the story, though, kudos to the Ravens. They shut down Derrick Henry. 
The fact that he didn't score in this game uh, was held uh, to you know under 100 yards rushing after his you know explosive explosive games. Um, you know that to me is a story. If the Ravens can uh, defensively can put up an effort like that against Buffalo, man, is that game going to be fun to watch? And if that game is close, it's going to be exciting. Kudos to Raven getting the monkey off the back uh, for the Titans. I think the Titans are the. If you're a Titans fan right now, yeah, obviously you're sick, but you have the easiest offseason to fix. You fix a way. If you fix your way to get pressure with the front four, invest in a pass rusher in the draft uh, in the offseason. That's really all you need. Like you maybe a little more depth at linebacker and front and, and uh, front four. Maybe a little more depth at the O line as well because. Some injuries and guys, you know, Taylor Lewan, as great as they are, they just haven't proven that they can stay healthy. I, I love Tennessee coming right back and being right back in this spot, um, especially with the dysfunction of the AFC South right now, not knowing where the quarterback situation will be for uh, 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 for the Colts. And for Baltimore, yeah, Lamar's special. I, I'm happy that he got himself a win to get rid of that narrative. Let's be honest, it's hard to win in the playoffs. Even the greats, Drew Brees only has nine playoff wins. I think now ten, uh, or maybe now nine. It's it's. I mean, it's insane. Like so to to be hating on a guy like that who's so young, younger than Baker Mayfield, younger than Josh Allen. Yeah. Like yeah, this guy is going to be in the playoffs for years to come. Especially now we see the dysfunction that's going to be happening in Pittsburgh and what they could turn around. I, I think he's got a bright bright future. The problem is Lamar now has to deal with Josh Allen and 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 Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes. And Josh Allen have to deal with Lamar Jackson. It's going to be fascinating to see how these three uh, play out the next couple of weeks. But that was a fun game, exciting game. Low scoring, that shocked me. That was the only big surprise of that game for me. It's a totally different – it's all about, like, framing, right? So saying that Lamar Jackson has never won in the playoffs is not like saying Marvin Lewis has never won in the playoffs, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah. that's a 13-year sample size versus a guy who's 0-2. All right, like two games, the, most people in those situations are probably 0 and 2 or, you know, 1 and 1. Like, and it's a difference between a field goal or something. So for him to get that monkey off the back now is probably like, I'm just glad that that narrative won't be tossed around as, as in, like it was some mega important thing. You know, if, if he had, if he had done this for five straight years, one and done, okay, now you're starting to talk about like a really troubling pattern. Yeah. But, and it's hard because you know, it's, it's the media. The media crowns you as an MVP, and he deserved the MVP. He yeah. was the MVP that year, last year. But when you get crowned that, and then you don't, and then you lose your second playoff game, the narrative was building, and it's it's all a media-driven narrative as opposed to just a pure football sense of narrative. But uh, you're right. This was this was yeah. big. That was absolutely huge for him. Yeah, the expectation was there, um, and – yeah, this is going to be another great one. I'd actually put put this uh, Ravens, Bills, uh, Bucks, Saints uh, as as the the two top matchups. I'm excited for oh, this weekend. Great, I big, pumped big time. Can I, I mean, ask? It's going to be incredible. We need to make a mental note, especially for our listeners. I want them to hold us to it. AJ Brown, I tweeted at you. AJ Brown over DK Metcalf. AJ Brown is the other guy in that photo. Of the, you know. The yeah, pre-draft photo yeah. where DK Metcalf looks huge. You were like, wait, the guy next to him also looks massive. That's A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans. And Tennessee doesn't get a lot of love at all as far as the quarterback um, 
Tannehill is playing like a top five quarterback in the league. I don't think anyone would say he's a top five quarterback. I think a lot of what Tennessee, especially with the success of Tannehill will be and where, you know, we rank him will be once they lose their, their offensive coordinators, getting all these head coach interviews. What does he look like without the offensive coordinator? But I think one of the reasons why Tannehill has been so great is Brown. Brown is a stud. And I would argue right now, it's not crazy to say Brown over DK Metcalf. And I, and I'm saying this now, cause we, I don't want to debate it now. I don't think it it's now. crazy either. I don't, I, we don't need not. to debate it now, but it's definitely an off season topic to debate as well. All these great receivers in the league, where do you rank them Where versus right now in a game versus also like over the next five years, who are you taking in the same way you sure. rank quarterbacks right now versus over the next five years? Right now, I'm taking Tom Brady over Justin Herbert, five years. Right now, I'm taking Julio Jones over A.J. Brown, five years. It's, it's that same type of conversation. And with how important yeah. wide receivers have come into the league, I think it's a fair conversation for us uh, to start having. No, definitely. Definitely agree. Um, all right, let's move on to Bears at Saints. Saints get a 21 to 9 drumming. 21 to 3. Bears. It's 21 uh, to 3 drumming. We, but yeah, it's basic it's 21 to 3. Um Wims, which is the drop of the century just couldn't have been a better throw and a better play call at a better time for the Bears. I truly believe if, if he catches that, it's a completely different ball game. 100% like changes the momentum, changes the, the, the structure of the game the tone. And, and just the, yeah, the tone, everything about it, everything about it's different, but he doesn't catch it. The, the refs were rough as well. It was just an all around, just, just a rough game, man. It was just not, not great. And, and Nickelodeon, um, not not a great one for them to have to have to host there. Like you have to come up with all this fun stuff because we're watching a pretty pitiful game all around, even for both teams, honestly. It was just it was not good. No, I you know, so I'll start by saying this. I'm gonna talk about the Bears wing. My main point, you're gonna talk about the Steelers as far as off season goes. So if you're listening for that, you know my guys like Tyler Dawson who, you know, want me to create the list. I got the list for you, all right? But Purely talking about this game, obviously the the whims catch on the sideline that they ruled a no catch that was a catch, brilliant. Yeah, and I love they went right back to him, but I do think it's also a microcosm for this Bears. Uh, that drop was a microcosm for a lot of things. Whims is a guy that was uh, was touted a couple years ago as you know was going to be Mooney, and he never really panned out. So was Calvin Ridley. So was uh, the high draft pick like an Anthony Miller. And I, I don't – obviously, in the moment, I and I still think it's a terrible call, the Cole Komet penalty. I think that penalty was almost – Yeah, that was really 1B devastating for the Bears' chances to win this game as the whims drop. The whims drop, obviously devastating because you're right. That gives them a legitimate chance to get the offense going, to keep the defense, to, to really put – more of an emotional shot in the arm to the defense, the offense. Emotion plays a huge, uh, huge factor in playoff games. I will say this though: we do have to be very honest about um, about all of that too. I am not as critical on the refs because I do think the refs were smartly looking for things. The Bears versus Saints got very chippy ejections in during the season that game with the whims punch and Matt Nagy to his credit and I take him for his word said they showed that play every day and talked about whims punching Garner Johnson every day 
in the in the, in the preparation for this game, saying you can't let your emotions get the best of you. So shame on the players for letting it happen. And Anthony Miller, inexcusable. And I do think again, you then say Anthony Miller and that punch is a microcosm of Pace's tenure and how you you highly you you reach on certain guys. But you promise us they're developed guys are going to have all this high character and blossom, and they don't. And then they're not even that. You lose it like high character wise. So there's a lot of that. Uh, you know, you, you could get into and spend it hours picking apart. I'll say this Trubisky wasn't good enough. The play calling in the end wasn't great enough. The offensive line wasn't good enough. Uh, the defense played so well through three quarters, they let up 14 points through three quarters. Uh, and to deal with all they had to deal with, they were on the on the field for immense amount of time because the offense was so poor. And to play that admirably, and with how bad Eddie Jackson played. Eddie Jackson is too well paid to be paid that highly, and I do think not a lot of it necessarily his fault. He made some boneheaded mistakes himself, but I'll get to it with Pagano and some real head-scratching as an offensive plays call. It was really head-scratching some of the defensive calls as well. Now you miss Roquan and, and I get it. So everyone's going to, they're going to try to say, all right, we have to make up for that by maybe taking chances, doing this, that, or the other. I thought Gibson had a great game. I thought Khalil Mack had a great game. I thought Akeem Hicks had a great game. I even thought, uh, I, I, you know, I even thought um, Quinn had a really good game for as bad as he's been this season, how much money they paid him. But on the opposite side, this was a Saints team that was expected to really, handle the Bears, and they let this Bears team hang around when they offensively were dead, the Bears. And I think that speaks a lot to, I don't think, I've said it for weeks now leading up to it, I think the Saints are frauds as far as their real chances, and I am I already bet it today as I tweeted out. I'm already taking the, 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 the Bucks to cover, and I may sprinkle some money in the Bucks to money line win that game. Right now, I'm high in the Bucks going into that game against the Saints. Uh, but overall, again, Loved watching Bears in the playoffs. It was a tormental. It was a tormenting three hours. I was so happy when it was over, and all it did was pass the pain on to you. Yeah, no question, no question. Um, the Browns with a absolute. I, I don't even know what the right word for it is. I'll I mean, say this, Dan. Like, I'll lead you into this. A Browns, route, a route. Browns talk <laughs> yeah. with the Steelers. The only thing I can equate that to was the first quarter of the Seahawks versus the Broncos in that Super Bowl where the ball goes over Peyton Manning's head in the cold yeah. in New York when they decided to do a cold Super Bowl game and Peyton just looked so unorganized and shell-shocked early and not comparing the Browns to how good that Seahawks defense was. But right, comparing right. it to where it looked Situationally. like the Browns looked like they came out where every single one of them was playing like Liam Neeson had just gotten the phone call that I have your daughter and she's about to be sold into sex slavery if you don't win this game. And the Steelers came out that game looking like we just woke up from a great nap and we're refreshed and we're like we're like that we're like bigger and stronger but we're like you know hi sure. oh yeah, I kicked this guy's ass yesterday I'm going to get some good sleep I'm going to kick his ass today and no they didn't realize that overnight 
that guy got a call that his daughter is being sold into sex slavery. I mean, that's what it looked like. Liam Neeson taking sex slavery. It they, was, they came in pissed, man. Oh, they came in. Juju Smith-Schuster, I is a great player. Should never be allowed to talk to the media again as long as he's on the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's. I feel like people are making. Way no, too you're big not. Of a deal Baker Mayfield stuff. said it yes, in the post are. game. They of get, course they did. Well, of course, they stop will always giving them Baltimore say, material, J- J- Juju. Stop. It will always be brought up. It will always be brought up by the opposing team if they win because they can and they should go go for it. But if anyone thinks for a second that a four, that this game, this win, that first quarter was because Juju it, said it the wasn't Browns just the Browns. that. But I mean, but it, it wasn't even. 25% of that, all right? It's probably 5%. It might give you that little extra push. It might give you that little bit extra. It just looks so bad. That little so bit extra bad. doesn't it amount. Looks it so looks so bad. bad. I'm, I am not going to defend what he did. It was stupid. You just don't do it, period, because you don't roll the dice on giving them any extra no. leverage. Bill Belichick it all week but, long. We respect them. They're a divisional opponent. And I – listen – and the and, Steelers and look, need to they, pay him a million dollars more a year to not speak to the media and, and to get and off TikTok. They, However much money he makes on TikTok, it's... they need to pay him that in his contract and be like, you're done with TikTok. We're going to give the no TikTok clause. How much money do you make from TikTok? A half a million a year? Here's a million a year. You're done with TikTok. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter because he's not going to be a Steeler next year. So Probably it's, not. It's, it's all... It's all for naught anyway. Let's talk um, about the game. Beyond that, the I, game itself. It all started so, with that, that that play. Pouncey, who you could argue is a, is a Hall of Very Good for sure, but borderline Hall of Fame type of talent and career. I mean, it unraveled there. And, I mean, it just goes to show the Steelers came in sleepwalking, man. It was, um, you know, I'm not sure kind of who pointed this out. Uh, and I've, I've seen it from several areas, but it's – it's definitely true that, you know, you mentioned kind of a microcosm for the Bears. The Steelers' problems throughout the season were all manifested in this game, and it it just all came together at the at the worst possible time. Um, their flaws were exposed. Every single one of their flaws was exposed at its highest peak, and um, it started with the snaps. It's actually been a problem for three years now, where. Every now and then, Pouncey's snap is is a bit off, and Ben's had to reach down or or reach up. Last year, when Ben wasn't in, there were a lot of issues with that exchange with a young quarterback yeah. like Rudolph or Hodges where they weren't able to get it. So this has been an issue, and I think it's partly that. It's partly probably anxiety. You haven't played for two weeks, so you want, you're just like you're super pumped and just ready to go and – Get way too excited. Um, so look, ninety percent of that's on Pouncey, but ten percent of that is on Ben and, and Connor for not falling on that ball, because that was terrible. That was an awful effort to try and mitigate the damage there. Uh, at the very, very worst, you kick that out for a safety and and take your, you know, take your lumps and and come back uh, with down to nothing. You spot a team seven points at home in a playoff game. Uh, with all of the ailments that they had from not having their head coach, not having their left guard, not having two of their starting corners, not having um, a week of practice, 
all of those things you're going to just throw out the window with a 7 nothing deficit staring you in the face. And then to compound that with two consecutive interceptions after that, it's inexcusable. It's terrible play. It is. It's what we've seen from Ben in the worst moments for a few years as well. I think back to 2018 against Denver where they had the game in the bag at the goal line. Ben throws a 20-second floater at the goal line into the end zone. It's picked off game over. Denver wins by one or two, whatever it was. It's it's those types of things that it's he's he's so weird for a fan to dissect because he we wouldn't be where we're at without Ben in a lot of ways. But he's also held you back the past. And we we and we years. also wouldn't be where we are without Ben being out of the playoffs right yeah. now if it weren't for now, Ben as well. I do say and, I, and well, that's the, the problem. Going back to the game itself because I know we're going to lead in and I want to lead kind of right into this with your point of we're gonna we're gonna break up the show here a little differently. We're gonna we'll do our. We'll get to our um, our um, uh, bold strategy. Then we'll dissect. He's going to break down the Steelers offseason early thoughts. I'll break down the Bears offseason early thoughts. Then we'll preview and then what if to wrap up the show. But I, I do want to say, going back to the game, Tomlin had takes. I should take massive blame for not going for it fourth uh, on fourth there. They had got all the momentum, yeah. came back into it. Tomlin is certainly not without blame. And kudos to the Browns. This would have never. This Browns team would not have been this prepared, ready to go without Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski, I know he wasn't in their silence, but that is, this man, uh, they could build a statue of him right now in Cleveland because the way he has turned around the culture of that team, the Browns are not going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Browns, I don't think think the Browns with Baker Mayfield, I've said this before, I'll stand by it. I don't think Baker Mayfield can lead the Browns to the Super Bowl or really any team. I don't think he's that guy. But they have built a team around him that's culture, winning, grit, uh, and, and, and very, very determined offensively to know what they're doing. And he played a great game, game of his life, Jarvis Landry. They were not prepared at all to handle what the Browns were going to do to them offensively. They were giving up yards left and right. That defense hadn't been the same since the injuries, I think, especially to Bud Dupree um, and uh, and uh, Bush. They, I mean, they're missing two huge uh, signal callers uh, and studs on their defense. Either way, I want to say kudos to the Browns. I, th- I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. The one way you can beat Patrick Mahomes is if you keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. If you can run the ball... You can keep Patrick Mahomes silent. It's going to be fascinating. We'll talk about him coming on up. But Tomlin deserves, I think, Big Ben, I will give 55% of the blame to. Tomlin, I will give 40% of the blame to. Uh, and then a small percentage to just the fact that. I, I, I think you got to give like 20% of blame to the defense. Because even I, I though they, were, small they had, percentage they had just, short fields. When they're down but, like that uh, early, I mean, what are they supposed to do? It's tough. I mean, the but, momentum well, but, swing. But they they let it. They compounded the problem. They did. They did. Because because they were given a 45-yard field, field, and I know that it's a short field, and that's a really tough position. But you got to – they got touchdowns on every one of those. I know. Opportunities. I mean, you have to you have to hold but where them to a field goal on like I, well, two of I blame, those. I'm going to put you know? some of that more than on Tomlin still. It's his brainchild. Where's the prep? Well, yeah, and he, and he actually admitted, uh, it, it appears, that uh, he was calling the defense that whole game. Yeah. So 
he does need to take a lot of blame in that regard. He needs to take blame on that fourth down call. I initially was in favor of the punt, to be, to be quite honest, because of the way the defense had been playing for that quarter. Hindsight and basically five uh, minutes later, I was like, oh, my God. That was, of course you go for it on fourth and one there. You have to. I'm Your sitting offense there is watching. absolutely yeah, firing it is. on all cylinders. You had them on the ropes. And um, and if they and if you it, you know what if you for a guy season, that, that says game was I don't already live over, in my fears. I hate it. I hate I hate the pump because that game was over in the first quarter. You had clawed your way to put yourself in a position to make one play, and you don't you didn't even honestly deserve to be in that position to make that one play. But you'd somehow got there, and if you make that one play, and you get it on fourth down. Then the game is now yours to win, and you've earned the right to be there. And if you don't get that one yard, what did Tom would say earlier? If we can't get one damn yard, we don't deserve to be here. So right, to right. me, it's like well, they didn't live their philosophy. The you, you you played then hopefully not to lose. I don't know. I, I To me, you've got to go for it on, on fourth down there. You have to. I don't understand his philosophy, to be quite honest, because it's always been an inconsistent one. It's yep. been whatever suits the moment because – he always says we're not living in our fears, but that, like half the time, that's exactly what, what they're doing. doing. Like, but I don't know I, what you're talking is, about with I, that. Maybe he didn't. A lot of it, I think, is what you'll get to here, and we'll, we'll get to it. Maybe he doesn't trust Ben. I don't know. They don't trust the running game, that's for sure. It's interesting. Well, they definitely don't trust the run game. And, and look, but but then you still have to take the blame for that's your that's your offensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree. You, well, that, like, like this – you I'm excited to, to hear what you have to say about them changing in the offseason because sure. I do think they need to change their offensive co- I, Well, sure. but only if Ben's gone because I don't think you change offensive coordinators with Ben in year oh, 17 yeah, or whatever. It won't happen without – yeah, if, if Ben stays, it's not going to happen. But one last thing I'll say about that punt situation. If you're going to punt and try for a hard count, you don't try for a hard count with the punt unit. No, uh, you, terrible. Freaking raw, like, what is that? Terrible. Terrible. They're, they're not. They're not coming at you with a rush on on that situation. So they're not on their toes. It's like terrible. They're sitting back. It made no sense. Like the, his his decisions are mind boggling. Going for two early, but then not going for two in the situation where you could have made an eleven point game. But then later deciding to go for two again when you could make it eleven point game. It's like I know well, I, I don't terrible. understand. I don't understand it. Like, there was you have a, to have consistency at some point. Him and Mike Regardless, Vrabel it was, had bad weekends. I think overall for guys yeah, who are not going to lose did. their jobs because they're not, and they're, I do think they're both very good coaches. They had bad, bad weekends. Really bad weekends. They had, they had bad weekends. Uh, Tomlin a worse one, but uh, I agree because I think it was bad. I think um, Vrabel had his guys at least prepared to play. Yeah. Um, right. They they actually showed up and, and started out strong, ten to nothing. I just, you know, four picks for Ben, sixty eight pass attempts. That's the most in NFL postseason history. history. Yeah, forty seven pass completions, most in NFL history. Period. Yes, and um, and I don't want to hear that as an excuse for Ben should stay and Ben shouldn't retire because I, I don't think that has anything to do with Ben's future and can he play in the league or not. Ben can still play in this league, but it's. Where honest conversations need to be having, I know we'll get to it. So we're about an hour in yeah. here. We still want to. Uh, we're going to get to our headlines here. Dan and I will both break down me from the Bears' perspective. Early just thoughts in the offseason. Dan, early thoughts in the offseason for the Steelers. Uh, let's get to our. I know we have our our uh, bold strategy. Then we'll get to the headlines, 
And then we will do a preview of the next week's games. Obviously, we won't talk as much about it. Just quick thoughts and looking ahead to next week. And then we'll wrap up uh, with our with our what if. So let's uh, let's get uh, to our bold strategy, which uh, luckily just broke just uh, like a couple hours ago. Yeah, yeah, right before we got on the air here, coming down the pike, Doug Peterson has officially been fired as the Eagles head coach. Uh, this obviously coming after the season finale loss to Washington, in which he benched Jalen Hurts uh, in favor of Nate Sudfeld. Uh, Peterson went 42-37-1 with Philadelphia, 4-11-1 this season, and of course he won Super Bowl 52 that uh, is going to be fondly remembered in Philadelphia. But it's been a downward spiral ever since. They haven't been able to return to that Super Bowl form. And uh, now another coach vacancy opens up and another candidate enters the pool. And we hear that he and uh, J- new Jets GM Joe Douglas have uh, uh, you know a good relationship. So uh, a lot of people saying now that Doug Peterson may come in as a front-runner candidate for the Jets. But the bold strategy here, the Eagles making a big move, getting rid of their head coach uh, in the midst of, uh, you know, obviously if you think about it as a whole, there were so many crazy things that happened. But nonetheless, just a few seasons removed from a Super Bowl uh, and and a season removed from a division title, they are moving on from Doug Peterson. So to my knowledge, we have seven openings, right? No one's hired anyone. You add yes. this to the list of open, already predetermined openings, which we talked about last week. I have an interesting take on this. Doug Peterson's the luckiest guy in the NFL right now. He single-handedly... <laughs> yeah. He jumped off a sinking ship. Oh, my God. And a, a ship that he literally, like, let the... He, like, poked... He was the iceberg that was like, oh, well, I'm going to screw up my relationship with my franchise quarterback and not improve and help it get better. You know, it's interesting. I compare... What was happening in Philly and Doug Peterson? A, a lot to Matt Nagy and the Bears. Matt Nagy was brought in to develop Mitchell Trubisky. Say, hey, we we picked this guy. Can you get the most out of him? He never did that. Um, conversely, with it's basically the same thing with Carson Wentz. We signed him to a mega deal. Can you make? Can you keep him an MVP and keep it working? And Doug Peterson basically like, yeah, I can't do it. This guy kind of stinks. I don't know what happened here. Uh, it's not working. It's not my fault. I don't know what Carson's doing. Like, and now he's going to get another job, and I think he'd be uh, actually a pretty good fit in in uh, in New York. I also think I think the boldest part of the strategy is uh, like if you're Philly, who wants that job? Like, who are you gonna get that you feel is now a better fit for that job? And what do you do? I mean, this throws it everything. I, 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 you know, I don't think it was necessarily the smartest move in the world. I also don't think it's a smart move for you to fire a head coach late in this game because when you're not desirable, and it's late in the game, I, I'd be fine if they had taken this long for the Chargers to fire Anthony Lynn because you're still the most desirable job, basically. You know what I mean? But like that's, yeah. and I'll talk about that coming up with the Bears. It's a worry of mine. When you're not desirable and you're late to the game, I, this is going to be very interesting. I, you know, I, I think for Doug Peterson, uh, my, my be- hottest take on this is I think he is the luckiest guy in this situation. He'll get another job. He'll get three years somewhere to prove it. And I think in a place like the Jets, great landing spot for Doug Peterson. 
Um, and I think the Jets are, in a way, lucky to have a guy like Doug, Doug Pearson because I don't think the Jets' job is that desirable just because that organization has been such a disaster. They're like the Browns. You need a clean slate of, like, can you build a flipping culture before we even talk about winning games? Um, the Philly, where do they go from here? I don't know. I, it's a mess, but I can't wait to watch, man. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I think both um... – the Eagles and Peterson went out in this situation. It, it appeared the, the fracture was there already. Um, and it appeared that they just both needed to go in different directions at this point. I think Doug Peterson's good enough to be a head coach in this league. And um, I agree with you. I think the Jets is a good landing spot for him there. Chargers would be a good landing spot for him too, honestly. I mean, yeah. it would be a great landing spot for any head coach. Um, all that being said... It um you know it sucks for Philadelphia because you thought you were building a dynasty and you know in reality it was it, it is now becoming clear that it was a one hit wonder it's 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 how I feel about the Chicago Cubs man it's very similar it's like you felt like you guys were on the precipice of something huge for five six seven years and then. You know, you do well maybe the next year or two, and then it's just a complete falls you know, apart. clean house. And they're and, and it's falling apart at the seams. They're losing their franchise quarterback right now. They lost the Super Bowl winning head coach. The backup that won them the Super Bowl has long been long gone. Uh there's just no semblance of uh, of a defense that they once had. Like everything is has been falling apart at the seams there. That's so. a brilliant comparison too, because and I'm gonna steal this from Colin Coward. He talks about all the time with Philly, and he was, uh, to his credit, he was harsh on Philly right after they won the Super Bowl. If you remember, you know, uh, the, talking about how Lane Johnson talked about, hey, we have fun here, blah, 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 blah. People hard, like, got hard on Coward because, like, oh, he's just a Patriots homer, but he's been proven to be massively right on this. And his take is when you don't know how to win, and then you win like the Cubs, like the Eagles – yeah, it's hard. Like and 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 pressure, and and it's lonely at the and top. a lot of it. There, there. It's a really great comparison too, because so much of it was lightning in a bottle in a weird way too. Uh, they yeah. got really a, a, a unique, fun run at a weird time, and Schwarber coming back from that ACL and emote like, and Foles going in like a weird lightning in a bottle. And I and I do worry. This is a big thing I think about with NFL teams all the time. Yes, you. Everyone wants to be the Patriots. In order to be the Patriots, you do have to. Con, you have to find something that is a culture. And as much as we're hating on the Steelers right now, and you're we're about to talk about it, they deserve a lot of credit for being that good for that many years, making playoffs. We talked about the Bears have only made the playoffs nine times in my life. Steelers are in the playoffs every bleeping year almost for the past twenty years. So. That's hard to do, and a lot of that comes from can you build a culture? And and Philly now is starting square one from what the hell's their culture? They're now a losing franchise again, even though they just won a Super Bowl. It's a lot yeah. like the Bucks. What happened with the Bucks and 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 Gruden? They fell apart. They didn't know how to contain sustain success, and now they've been an absolute dumpster fire since then. And Philly could be in a spot where they're bad with the cap, bad with what they've done in the draft, and they could be a dumpster fire now for the next 10 years, it could be, if they don't get this right. So, very interesting Yeah, they got to get turned starting. around. And speaking of, definitely have to get turned around. Speaking of off-seasons, I think this leads us into both of us. 
I don't think yeah. I think you know I think we both we we've been texting or saying like I'm not going to spend ten minutes here. I, I got about five minutes of just. We're going to talk so much offseason about what the Bears doing, what the Steelers doing. Mm-hmm. And we don't know yet, but just gut reactions on overreaction Monday. Where are your teams at? So I'll start Hespin headline, what the Bears at and, and offseason feeling. So let me just start by saying this, Dan. I believe you cannot yet know what the Bears are going to do until they make the decision about who's actually making the decisions. Is Ryan Pace staying or going? So I had been challenged on Twitter by one of our listeners, our, our guy Tyler Dawson, said, I, you know, make a list. Well, you know, And I said, I was like, all right, dreams versus needs, because I think those are different lists. The dream is, yes, the Bears do what the Bulls did, and the Bulls finally pulled the plug on Gar and Pax, who had been in power for way too long and did not enough culture building, sustained winning. Ted Phillips is the guy. If you're a Bears fan, you know the name. Ted Phillips has been the president since 1990, bleeping nine. And the Bears, besides the one Super Bowl run, have not been consistent enough as a great organization since 1999 under his reign. But he's a family friend, trusted, and as much as the Steelers don't fire... Coaches, the Bears don't fire presidents, okay? But the Bears are an organization. He's a, he's a businessman and a family friend who's never been a purely football guy. The Bulls got Arturis, a basketball guy. Had nothing to do with friend, nothing to do with family, part of the organization like Garden Packs. They went out and got a guy, a basketball guy. Until the Bears do that, they will never in my life, I at least proven in the 21 years, it seems, no matter who they get a GM coach, they're not going to be a consistent chance for a dynasty winner. So that's obviously the dream, right? Ted goes and the McCaskies grow some balls and say, we're going to step away like the Reinsdorfs did and we're going to put a basketball guy, a football guy at the present spot, let them run the thing and we'll just cash our checks. That's the dream, right? And in that dream, you would then assume the new president fires the GM, fires the coach, and gets his quarterback and starts fresh, okay? That I don't see happening, especially because the Bears have been in the playoffs two of the last three years, which is still, in their history, fairly bleeping unprecedented, which is why it's sad and, and pathetic. So let me go to what I need in order for me, Mark Hespin, a diehard Bears fan, to be happy and excited about September 2021 the start of the next bear season. I need this. Chuck Pagano to be gone. I need Chuck Pagano to be gone. I think Chuck Pagano is a very good football mind, a very good guy, a great person. Everything he's battled in his life, and he's had a great football career. But it seems like the game is slipping him by. It seems like we have the pieces on defense to be an all-time elite defense, and they've paid people on that defense. Quinn, Mack, Jackson, Trevathan, like they should be all pros. And the Bears had one pro bowler, Cleo Mack, and one second-team all-pro, Cleo Mack. But when you pay guys to be all pros, 
You need a staff that will get the absolute most of them. You see me, if you follow me on Twitter, tweeting it over and over again. Sacks, 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 sacks. They're not getting enough sacks. And sacks create turnovers for the back end. Pressure, we all know how it works. So what I need, that's number one. I need Chuck Pagano to be gone. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know who to bring in. I don't. But I need him to be gone in order for just my dumb football brain to feel better about next year. The other thing I need, it's a short list. I need, in a lot of ways, one of Pace, Trubisky, or Nagy to be gone. Most likely, most what I would what I believe is most likely that I need to be gone. And what I what I feel is the easiest thing to be gone is Trubisky. You didn't pick up the option. You have no need to sign him. You can if you'd like, but you don't owe it to him. You have one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league in Nick Foles, a guy that you could spot start if you decide to draft a young quarterback, or a guy who's just a very great guy to have in the locker room as a backup if you go out and and test the free agent market or the trade market for a quarterback. I hesitate strongly in – Talking about pace yet, because again, I don't, I don't think pace is gone, um, unless Phillips is gone. Unless there, I, I really do think that the pace has a has a right. Uh, they have not a right, but they have enough of the owners here to say we need to just try with a different quarterback. We built a lot of great things. We now got the. I like what I've seen from Bill Lazor taking the calls away from Matt Nagy, and I like that Matt Nagy has built a culture that is a winning culture, playoffs two to three years, and overall there's stability in an organization when you see a lot of chaos in organizations, especially when you're when again when I just prefaced the Bears don't have a winning ownership group. And they don't have a winning president. So if you have a, a head coach that at least is not a disaster like what we've seen in, in Philly and a disaster what we've seen in the Jets and the Browns the previous years, Detroit, right across the lake. So I'm too – and you're not desirable and you're late to the game. So I do think unless – and here's, of course, my other part of the dream list is Pat Fitzgerald. If they're making calls, if George McCaskey's making calls to Pat Fitzgerald and Pat Fitzgerald says, for this number, I will become the head coach of the Chicago Bears, then yes, for the love of God, George McCaskey, if you listen to this podcast, do it, and you won't regret it. Clean house uh, with, a, with uh, a new GM and, 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 uh, and, and Pat Fitzgerald from the Northwestern Wildcats, I'm all in on that, but I don't think that's going to happen. So then I need Chuck Pagano to be gone, I need Mitchell Trubisky. I think that's what I need to be on. I would I would say pace over Nagy because I'm okay bringing in a new GM to say, hey, we're going to keep this coach for a year or two. You just got to deal with him. And if he's not good, like, like pace got the chance to then, hey, we're going to keep Fox. If he's not good, you get to find your guy. It's easier for that versus the opposite way around. Um, so, and then for the new G, you know, for Pace and Nagy to say, what do we want to do at the quarterback position and, and go from there? Those are two things I need. The dream scenario is you fire Ted Phillips and they somehow get me Pat Fitzgerald. Those are dreams. The Bears don't make dreams come true, as we can tell. Uh, so, what do I need? 
I need a new quarterback and I need a new defensive coordinator. If for the and then I would say Allen Robinson, sign Allen Robinson, sign Allen Robinson, sign Allen Robinson. If you do all those things, I'm excited about the Bears football come September. Believe it or not, and I know yeah, I said I no, only take five the, minutes. That was twelve <laughs> minutes. I apologize. They'll at least be on a a, a train track somewhere, right? Yeah. So that's the, you know that's the best thing you can hope for there. And I, I agree, they definitely need to sign Allen Robinson. It's long overdue. Final there. point for all our listeners who who care about it: as soon as the Bears start to make moves, obviously we'll talk about it, and you can always get my reaction directly on Twitter, and then on Mondays when we release the podcast when they start making moves, if they make moves at all. For sure, for sure. Yeah, for the uh, the Steelers, it's it's pretty short for me, um, honestly. I mean, the thing is, a lot of this rides on whether or not Ben's coming back. Um, it looks like an earlier report that Marquise Pouncey is retiring was uh, a bit of uh, jumping the gun in terms of reporting oh, there. Okay. So that, that'll be a big thing. I mean, if Pouncey says he's retiring, I'd almost ensure that Ben is likely going to be retiring as well. He's always said that um, the two will go out together. So we'll see what happens there. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that Ben rides out his contract one more year, which is through next season, and then retire after next season. Him and Pouncey go together after next year. So this is all pre- predicated on that, right? The ideal scenario is to get new, new uh, coordinators in the building. I think Keith Butler has done a really great job in some areas, including pressure. I mean, the guy can dial up sacks very well he was an assistant under dick lebeau he, he he gets it um still there have been way too many instances if you want to talk about games against the patriots we're spot dropping or you want to talk about uh even against the the browns most recently here where everyone knew what the browns do they go heavy set and then if they want to pass it they go empty out of the heavy formation to spread your guys out and they they end up getting your linebacker on a on jarvis landry and that's how robert spillane gets burned by Jarvis Landry in key moments of the game. Th- those are things as a defensive coordinator you have to be pre- prepared for and and find a way to stop. I, I get there. You can't do it all the time. But the point is there have been too many blunders on that end. The offensive coordinator, Randy Feekner. The thing is, and I've said it before, there's a reason you've never heard of either of the coordinators on the Steelers. Yep. And it's, one, because Tomlin runs the show there, and, two, because they're not guys that have just been known throughout the league as being no one's calling uh, on them for head coaching candidates they're not they're not they're not no they're not getting phone calls and there's a reason for that and and that's a lot of this has to do with big ben wanting to have control over the offense and how he runs things and randy has been his guy because he was his quarterback's coach when bruce arians was the oc and uh and and with during the todd haley years so that but the problem is man at, at a certain point you got to do what's best for the team. And sometimes what Ben wants might not be what's best for the team all around. You know, Ben hates play action, but we saw against the Colts, they started running a little more play action in that second half, and it worked. Like, if you don't like it, you got to suck it up sometimes because things are going to work uh, even if you're not a fan of them. You know, that's just kind of how life is. Um, so that all being said, it's not going to happen. Neither of these coordinators are going to go anywhere, I don't think. Uh, especially since I anticipate Big Ben coming back next season. So I think that's going to be a 2021 offseason to-do list uh, or 2022 offseason to-do list is get a new staff in there. Um, I am not on the fire Mike Tomlin bandwagon, and I won't be until we get consecutive losing seasons or 
just sh- have a team that that has zero promise. Um, I, I still believe in him, but I think I think he needs to be a little more hands off. Then I think he needs to be, do what Nagy did and, and give more of the play calling, handing it off. Right? Tomlin's been a defensive coach; it's always kind of been his baby. Maybe you need to start figuring out a better way to manage games properly because really he's getting caught, you know, with his hands between his legs sometimes, and it's it's not a good look. Uh, the biggest thing for me is the offensive line. I mean, it's an old, aging offensive line. I think they need to shore it up big time. And their problem is, as we stand right now, they are 10 over the cap, 10 million over the cap next year. And the cap could go that down is, because of everything with COVID. Well, I'm, I'm factoring that oh, in. Okay. But, but all that being said, they're going to have – a massive amount of free agents uh, leave this year. They've got even smaller guys like, you know, like, or, or lower on the totem pole guys like Cameron Sutton. Uh, but, but you've got Al Villanueva, your left tackle, who's going to be a free agent. You're, you've got uh, James Conner, who's going to be a free agent. You've got Juju going. You've got Mike Hilton going. You've got Matt Filer going. Tyson Aluwalu, uh, two other of your tackles. You're going to have um, two of your outside linebackers uh, as backups going. The depth at the D-line and, and on the defense in the linebacking core uh, is also going to be stripped away. So that's why like, this was the year to do it. This was the year to win it for them because they're not going to have as good of a roster. If they're, they're honestly lucky to get one of these free agents. If it's For me, my biggest hope is that they draft heavy on the offensive line they did last year in the in the later rounds. They got uh, Kevin Dotson, who played phenomenal this year. Draft more offensive linemen. I don't care if they throw four picks at them. Like you got to get some depth there, and you got to get some guys that can run block and and get this run game going again. Uh, and then on top of it, I I need them to sign Mike Hilton. I of all the free agents of Juju of Villanueva, Mike Hilton is the guy I want back. He's the best. Uh, slot corner at tack at at, at uh, run defense in the NFL. He's the best run de- defending corner in the league, and they need that desperately. And he's a phenomenal slot corner. I want him over all of them because depth at corner is thin, and we know throughout the league you got to have guys in the secondary if you want to have a, do- a a good enough sustainable defense. They can replace Juju. They got great young wide receiver talent. They can find a way to match. Uh, James Conner's production in the run game. I don't think Benny Snell is going to be the guy, but they can find a way to mix things up. They just drafted Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. Maybe he takes a step forward next year. You find a way, whatever it is. Um, those are my early offseason wants, but it's going to be a really uh, – I, I feel like we're in kind of almost opposite positions. I feel like the Bears are are on on their way to at least – making a move in a in in the right direction whereas like the Steelers are on their way out the door you know so they're they're about to experience a rough run here over the next few seasons so that's my early take on 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 the situation there and uh it's really unfortunate we'll see what happens if Ben retires and and Pouncey retire they're they're still going to have 20 million that they're going to have to eat from the Ben contract. But if he retires, they won't, if they release him, they will. So we'll we'll see. I mean, if if both are gone, they'll have money. They'll be able to sign some guys, maybe get some free agents, but um, it's 
either way, then they're without a quarterback, and we're talking about a a lost twenty twenty one season. So we'll see, Mark. I don't know. It's, it's tough. Not, it uh, is. It's it, not an exciting time. It is, but, but you know, it is exciting. Uh, division, but it is at the same divisional time. weekend next weekend. Uh, we want to start to wrap up the show here. We know it's a long one, but these are the playoffs. Lots going on. Uh, once you know, once this season's over, get to the Super Bowl. Uh, these shows are going to go back down to like an hour as we you know talk about offseason storylines and things. So we appreciate you guys sticking with us. But um, let's just go to it, Dan. Saturday slate. Um, I-, I love the NFL did a really good job of spicing the two games that we think are going to be the great games. One on Saturday, one on Sunday. Saturday starts with a game that I think everyone's predicting to be the ugly game, Rams at Packers. I say not so fast, my friend. Um, the the Green Bay Packers uh, hosting the Rams. My early thought on this is if the Rams can get uh, the pressure like they did on Wilson, on Rodgers, they have a real chance. The Rams also mind you, have the corners to handle a Devontae Adams. You see they handle Juju, I mean, uh, DK Metcalf, uh, the guys in their division, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So they're not going to be scared of Devontae Adams. I will say my early take is I like the Packers in this, but I already have the Rams covering the seven. It's at seven now. I think that line will creep up slowly during the week. So I think if you can get it at seven, Take it. I think the Rams cover the seven early thoughts in this. I think it's closer than we think. Rams playing with nothing to lose, a lot of momentum, good run game going into into Lambeau Field. Yeah, I'm I, I am of the different mindset here. I think the Packers roll the Rams in this one. And I'm I'm taking the Packers minus seven all day. All right. Uh, I think I, I I think the air raid is just going to be too much, and I I agree with you that Devontae may not may not be able to have his dominant game uh, like he's used to with Ramsey, especially expected to to kind of shadow him. But they have enough playmakers in the passing game. Uh, it might be a big game for Tunyon, um, and I think Rodgers is mobile enough to where that he can he can mitigate the damage that defensive line can do. From the Rams, I think I think his their bootlegs and Rogers, you know, awareness and and ability to extend uh, is going to be a huge huge boost to them. And I and I do, and I think they get the run game going. I, I think the Rams might struggle to shut down the Packers' run game with how ha- uh, much of a attention needs to be paid on the back end to those receivers. Uh, so I think that's going to open up things for Aaron Jones, and they're going to ha- be able to be balanced sustained drives and on the flip side the Packers defense has played really well uh down the stretch and they may very well overwhelm a guy like Jared Goff who can't do much outside of the pocket so don't let it be underestimated this is the master versus teacher in the young guys game this is Sean McVay Mm -hmm. and his former offensive coordinator the guy that they know each other very very well and Matt LaFleur uh, similar to Sean McVay and uh, and Sh- Mike Kyle Shanahan, the three of them, these young guys who all the same system, all coming from the same branch, that's going to yeah. be interesting. So that's why I think this is closer than you maybe the talent disparity would say. So that's why I may have to have. That's a fair point. I may have to have you call me and talk me off the ledge. I'm very tempted to bet the Rams to win this game outright, but <laughs> okay, that's just because I hate the Packers. Um, well, let's move on. Ravens at Bills. 
My early feeling on this game is uh, the line's only two and a half. I think people are very high in the Ravens because they've won a game now. You don't have that excuse anymore. Uh, the Bills were kind of caught off guard, and a lot of people had them covering against the Colts. They didn't. I feel the kind of opposite about this. I feel like the Bills handle the Ravens pretty. I think it's close early. Bills pull away late. Josh Allen plays more loose, uh, is able to be mobile against that uh, that uh, Ravens defense. I don't think the Bills are going to worry about having to run the ball. Kind of like the you know the Titans get in their head like, oh, why is Derrick Henry not going? The Bills don't have to worry about that at all. So I think that plays into their hand. I think the Bills can get an early lead and keep an early lead against the Ravens. I like the Bills. I I already took the Bills minus two and a half. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's going to be a, a an actually a pretty close game. Uh, so I, I do understand the line. I'm it's it's a really tough one. Um, you know, with that with that line especially, I do think that Baltimore wins this oh, game. Okay. I just feel like they're hot, man. I feel like they're hot, and you know the the Bills. The biggest, you know, deficit to the Bills is if Josh Allen's not on the field. I just, I have a feeling like the best run team in the league outside of Cleveland is the Ravens. And you could even say the Ravens are, are probably better right now. Um, I I think if they, that they're able to win this time of possession battle, in which case is going to do them a lot of favors and potentially put Josh Allen in a bit of an uncomfortable position there later in the it. game to where they're going to have to maybe force a couple things here against a great, great secondary. I'm going to take Baltimore to cover this, but I think it's a close game. I, I think it may be like, you know, and, and maybe not necessarily very high scoring. 27-24, I think, is probably somewhere in the ballpark of where I would put 28-24. Maybe. Okay. Uh, early prediction there for the Ravens to cover. I love it. Sunday game, we got – the Browns at the Chiefs in the afternoon slate. Uh, Chiefs coming in as 10-point favorites at home. I think the Chiefs are going to have a field day in this one. Um, and while Baltimore or uh, uh, Cleveland certainly can run the ball well and you know march the football down the field, I, I trust the Chiefs' defense in this situation. And, I, and after a couple drives of Patrick Mahomes going down, getting quick scores – the Browns are going to be put in a position where they have to abandon the run sooner than they want. We saw it last week too. I thought I thought they abandoned the run way too early against Pittsburgh. Yeah, they were all I up on them it in the and, second and, quarter. Yeah. that Baker Mayfield shouldn't throw another pass in this game. He, he really he, they they should have continued to run the football. It wouldn't have been nearly as close. But I think they're going to have to abandon it in this one sooner than they want. In which case, that plays right into the Chiefs' hands. And the the Browns defense, we even saw it once again. Saw it against Pittsburgh. Like they were handed a couple things. Uh, ben made a couple bad throws. They took advantage. I don't see Patrick Mahomes making those mistakes. And they still got lit up for four touchdowns and 500 yards through the air. Imagine what the what will happen with four full quarters of of that type of play from Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think Chiefs cover. Um, the 10, and I don't often say that with 10 points. I already but. bet Chiefs to cover the 10 as part of a parlay on the four, uh, 14, but I think this is actually a little different. I think it's close going into the fourth. I think it might be something around 24-20 uh, into the fourth, and the Chiefs get another score and pull away. I actually think this is pretty feeling it out, you know, kind of, you know, they teams are scoring, but it's not like a 
I don't see one team being up 17-0 and coming back. I think it's pretty score for score fairly early, some punts. Uh, teams kind of feeling out the Chiefs are going to come out a little slow. The, uh, the Browns are coming out with a ton of energy. Uh, but I do think it's just going to be too much late. Baker makes a mistake. Uh, they, you get a, a big play, a busted coverage. Patrick Mahomes takes advantage of it. Once he gets in the game flow, I think Patrick Mahomes really takes off in the second half. I think he will come out a little slow, a little rusty. I mean, he'll hit like a big bomb early. But overall, just game flow stuff. And I think the Chiefs then pull away, win something like 31 20 at that point, and you're like, oh, wow, the Chiefs won. But really, it was closer than you thought going into the fourth. Sure. So there you go. Sure, yeah, I could see that. Uh, Bucks at Saints in a weird timing here. They do 640 Eastern on Fox uh, for the evening game there. Uh, Bucks at the Saints. Saints laying three at home in New Orleans. I, I'm i with you, what you were saying earlier. The, I think the Bucks cover. I think the Bucks win. I, so I love I it. Ta- I, I would money line the Bucks for sure. Um, I may do I it. Just, Tom Brady versus Drew Brees alone. I'm taking Tom Brady in this situation right now. Uh, obviously, you know, and, and it's almost like hard to say, like, like the Saints pro- they do have a better defense probably overall, but it's, like, hard to say because the Bucs have played really good defense at times this year, just lately not so much. But, I mean, at any moment the Bucks defense can turn it on and they're not going to have to deal with a remotely mobile court. I mean, that's what Washington – like, Heineke was so yep. mobile – it, it really, like, hurt them to deal with a pocket passer like Drew Brees. I think that's going to be tougher. And I think Tom Brady, uh, you know, gets into a flow with this offense when, when they need it the most. He was still able to pull up 31 in, in a in a rough game overall. So, uh, yeah, I think the Bucks go go on the road here and and take care of business against the Saints, even though the Saints were my Super Bowl favorites to start the season. Already, already bet the Bucks minus three in my 14 parlay here. I love the Bucks in this spot. Tom Brady's not losing to Saints three times in a year. Uh, Drew Brees struggled in moving against the Bears, and the Bucks can get a pass rush. They have a they have a good front four, good linebacker core. They can get after it. I love uh, Todd Bowles, their defensive coordinator. I would love the Bears to get a Todd Bowles type of defensive coordinator, someone who's not just going to bend, don't break. Chuck Pagano, I'm over that. Don't worry, we're moving on. Um, but I, what I love most is that the Saints are a tough team when you don't see them. Like for the Bears, uh, I thought they handled the Saints' offense well the second time they saw them. That's why I worry a lot about the Browns. The Browns, you don't see the speed of the Chiefs. You don't see that. I do worry about it a little bit with the Bills playing the Ravens. You don't When you don't see that, that takes you off guard. It's really hard. Conversely, for the Saints, I would say seeing the Bucs, but the Bucs have evolved so much. They're not just the same old Bucs like the Saints. Uh, and I love Sean Payton likes to put in new things, but I think this Bucs team is playing different football. They're they're playing good, and they're peaking at the right time, and no one's talking about the Bucs right now. They've been flying under the radar. We haven't. When's the last time we talked about Bruce Aarons throwing Tom Brady under the bus or anything like that? Love the Bucks. Love, 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 love the Bucks to cover the three. I might bait a money line as well, straight up. Uh, for I can't wait for next weekend, Dan. Let's uh, uh, finish up with I think, which is a fascinating what if, and something that is a storyline that is going to be something massive to watch for this off season. A lot of people talking about it. Obviously, there's some friction in Houston with Deshaun Watson. Uh, he uh, says he was promised. Uh, 
you know, by the team's owner that, that he would be involved in the GM and head coaching search. And he brought Eric Bieniemy as a primary option said, Hey, just look at the guy. And from the reports, uh, they, those were indicating that Deshaun didn't have any expectations of someone being hired, but just wanted the, his considerations to be heard. Apparently that wasn't the case. Eric Bieniemy is the, um, they're the only team to not interview Eric Bieniemy with a head coaching vacancy, obviously outside of, uh, Philadelphia right now so anyway Deshaun not happy with all of that we heard last year he was blindsided by the DeAndre Hopkins trade so it's it's been some brewing friction there in Houston they got rid of Bill O'Brien bring in Nick Casario GM has said they're not moving on from Watson nonetheless there there's just a lot of reports out there of some speculation so if you're Deshaun Watson what like we're putting on our hats here what if you're Deshaun Watson and you have the pick of the litter you can go to any team you want uh in in its current you know situation as a franchise where do you choose to go uh for me mark i it would be difficult um to not pick somewhere like um you know i i don't know i i I think the steelers come to mind for me like the bears would be fun you know because it's like you got a great defense. You have guys like Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, some young pieces there with the young head coach. Like, I think it could work really well in Chicago. But for me, look, I mean, if if you look at the Steelers here, like if they have Deshaun Watson, I really feel like this team is like totally different. They obviously still like that wouldn't solve their, their problems running the football, but they would certainly be able to extend plays with these stud receivers. I mean, if you're Deshaun Watson, you're looking at this, you got three stud receivers, you got top three defense in the NFL. You have, you know, a, a renowned Super Bowl winning head coach. A lot of temptation there in a in a franchise that is stable. And you go from the instability of Houston to a stable rock like a Pittsburgh. And I, I know I could be biased there in saying, like, that would be a, a really tempting spot. But I truly think it would be for an, an already proven quarterback that doesn't have to worry about a total rebuild. Like, you've already got a lot of pieces there. To, to put you in motion. No, I love it. I mean, I, I think um, I'm obviously biased towards the Bears as well, but I, I'll, I will say this. If I'm Deshaun Watson, and I it's hard to imagine being that talented, that good-looking, and that wealthy, but I'll try, and I will say this. <laughs> I start to look around at the NFL and the shape of it right now. If you want to go somewhere where you have a chance to win – I think Indianapolis comes to mind because great spot, the pro- but but it's in the AFC. If I'm Deshaun, I'd like to get to the NFC because the AFC has Mahomes, the AFC has Lamar, the AFC has Herbert, the AFC has Josh Allen. The a you know the AFC is going to get Trevor Lawrence in the in the AFC South. The AFC has a bunch now of robots, Baker and the Browns. Even though I don't think they're Super Bowl caliber. They're going to be a roadblock, especially if you're going to Pittsburgh. You two playoff teams in that division. Joe Burrow, let's not forget about him in Cincinnati. The AFC has a ton of young, talented quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill, the Titans, they have a ton of roadblocks. Miami's defense, Bill Belichick's in the AFC. So the NFC, you have older guys like Brady and Breeze who are getting out of there. Rodgers is older. There's instability in Seattle right now. Uh, Jared Goff and the Rams don't really scare you. Uh, and then so I say to myself, okay, well, the Bears are maybe an attractive spot 
or even the Vikings in the NFC North because you only have to deal with Rodgers for maybe another year or two, and you're not really expected to beat Rodgers, but then eventually you could then take over when Rodgers is gone. Uh, so there, that's an attractive spot, the NFC North. Another division besides the Colts, I think the AFC South's an attractive division. I would argue that the NFC South is an attractive division because Breeze and Brady will be gone very soon. So Atlanta, Carolina, or even New Orleans, if they get rid of Breeze in this offseason, Breeze retires. So I'm looking more than my hat goes to divisions. Where are teams that I can win now in divisions where I'm going to be the man in that division to get easy wins to sneak into the playoffs year after year? I don't want to be battling Josh Allen in the AFC East. I don't want to be battling Mahomes in the AFC West. I don't want to be in the uh, in the AFC North battling Lamar. Uh, the AFC South, yeah, but no one they're not going to trade you in division. And so then in the NFC, I'd say the North because you can only get you only have Rodgers for another year or two. The West possibly because the instability with Russell, but that's a tough division. But the AFC South, my friend. Uh, I mean, NFC, and, uh, you could throw, the NFC East. You could throw the Cowboys. Yeah, in so there the easily. NFC East I mean, would be the other division where I have some free range. So I would look to get to the NFC if I'm Deshaun Watson. For sure, love it. All right, well that'll uh, cap off our wild card recap episode here with our divisional predictions as well. Be sure to you know check us on uh, Twitter at Mark Hespin at Dan Vasco at FB Lounge Pod as well as on Facebook. We post our predictions there on the days of the game, so be sure to check out for that. We'll see you back here next week for a divisional recap as we wind things down to the Super Bowl.